Welcome to the Ashley and Jessicast. I started this podcast because of my love for Jessica and Ashley Simpson, but due to the support of my amazing listeners, I have been able to expand to other topics as well to feed my pop culture obsession and yours. Join me as we time travel through some of the most interesting figures in music, movies, TV, and beyond. I'm your host, Leah Russo. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the next installment in my Lindsay Lohan series. This is part 10. Can you guys believe it? I'm calling it Lindsay X. (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. Today we have so much to cover, but first I just want to remind you that I am on Patreon, patreon.com slash the Ashley and Jessicast. There are a ton of bonus episodes on there. If you just can't get enough of me, if 10 parts is not enough for you, I relate, girl. I have an addictive personality like somebody else that we know, a certain redhead. Or at this time, mm, she wasn't so red. She was blonde. She had black hair she had brown hair it's hard to keep track but today we are going to talk about i know who killed me the cult classic that some say is secretly Lindsay's best film which i would not agree with even if i had a lobotomy but we still have to talk about it i can't wait to get into it with you guys also there were a lot of boyfriends in Lindsay's young life but there was only one girlfriend miss samantha ronson so we're going to talk about her today along with so many other things. If you haven't heard the first nine parts in the series and uh, you have a free dozen hours, why don't you go listen to that? Go clean your house. And by the way, this is going to be the longest episode yet. So get on DoorDash. This is not sponsored. I wish it was. How cool would that be if I was like, oh, I have a code for you. Go order a snack on DoorDash, you know, code JessicaCast. Let's manifest that. Oh my gosh, I would love that. But anyways, yeah, for real, grab a snack because like, I just, I keep thinking these episodes are going to get shorter and they just get longer. So I love all of you guys because you're always telling me we need more. We love the Lindsay series. Don't worry about how long it is. So I'm just going to keep going until I reach the present day. So let's get started by jumping into the illustrious, the enigmatic, the stupid The stylish film that was released on July 27th, 2007, I Know Who Killed Me. So this was released literally like three days after Lindsay's arrest that ended up leading to her going into rehab a few days after for the third time that year. So she wasn't able to do much promotion on it. There's no press tour. And that kind of added to the fogginess of this movie because even though the movie, it's bad no matter what, right? But this movie really got killed, like no pun intended, because Lindsay was going through so much at the time and people were so cruel mocking her every move that they were thrilled when she came out with something that was so terrible because it gave them even more license to trash her and if you're doubting how terrible people were being to her around this time just know that the Madame Tussauds Wax Museum in New York City outfitted their wax figure of Lindsay which previously had hung on a normal outfit to a prison outfit you know, like the striped costume with the hat on, like the old school prison outfit. It makes me mad. It really makes me mad. I think it's so cruel. This girl is 21 years old. It's her third rehab stint. She's trying, you know? 
She's trying. Why do you have to make her look stupid like that? You know, jail is not a laughing matter. It's not something funny. Like, imagine if that was your daughter, you know, and you can make fun of her mother, Dina, all you want for having similar issues. But I don't think it's so funny either. I don't, I don't think it's funny. And I think today, obviously, it's interesting to think about, right? Because 2007 wasn't that long ago. 15 years is relatively not that long ago right and I just feel like this would never happen today I think people would be so much more understanding if this started happening to Billie Eilish oh my god you know and I'm just naming her because she's someone what is she 19 now I mean she's so young if she started on a similar path to Lindsay I think people would just be so empathetic and they would be celebrating every success that she had and they would be rooting for her with every mistake that she made it's just really sickening. People love just pointing to a celebrity and saying, oh my God, if that was me, I would do X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you don't really know what you would do if you were her because you can't imagine her life, you know? And it's that, it's that old saying, you know, if you can't walk a mile in someone's shoes, don't judge them. Or don't judge them until you've walked a mile in their shoes, you know? it's ugh, It just really makes me mad. So yeah, like I said, while I think this movie would have been panned no matter what, I think that had Lindsay not been getting into so much trouble, I think people would have been like, oh, Lindsay's great in it, but it's just a terrible film and it's a misstep. But instead, people acted like this movie was the worst movie ever made. And I, I get it. It's a bad movie, but people just attacked her left and right when really she was doing the right thing by going to rehab because a lot of actors would be like, no way, I'm not going to rehab. I'm, I'll go to rehab in two weeks after I'm done promoting this movie on every news station and talk show and stuff. I want my movie to do well. And you know she cared so deeply about this movie because she had been talking about it literally since she'd been cast. How excited about the movie she was, how happy she was that she found a psychological thriller script to be a part of. It's funny, right? Because Lindsay is playing dual roles in this movie. It's the third time in her career that she has done that. <laughs> the first two, The Parent Trap and Freaky Friday, were iconic for good reasons and this one is iconic for bad reasons so I'm gonna try to boil down this plot to you I won't give away spoilers to the ending because I want you guys to go enjoy it as I said on Jesse's podcast take an edible and turn this movie on just trust me so it's about this young girl I believe she's in college her name is Aubrey Fleming played by Lindsay of course and she is quiet and unassuming and plays the piano nice girl whatever somebody from her college another young girl had just been abducted and murdered by this horrible monster guy. Aubrey is the next victim, but she gets away. And when she's found, she's missing a limb. And, you know, it's very gruesome, this movie. <laughs> Although it's not practical effects for the most part. They use CGI and it's <laughs> it, like it couldn't be less scary. This is supposed to be a horror movie slash psychological thriller. It's not scary. It's you might want to close your eyes a few times. Like if you're the type of person that will not watch any horror movie no matter what. Like I have some friends like that. Still watch this because it's entertaining. Like it's just it's just funny. Like you have to see it. But well, I wouldn't say you have to see it. I mean, I think a lot of people love this movie and I'll get into why and everything. And some people see it as so bad it's good. I wouldn't say it's a must see. Like it's not that like so bad it's good that you absolutely have to freaking see it. But I think if you're a Lindsay fan and you've never seen this, you have to watch it, you know, because it's just it's so awesomely bad and it's just entertaining to watch, especially if you take an edible or uh, have a drink, you know ironically considering what Lindsay was going through at the time you should be drunk or high for this movie because it's just it, you really need to with this type of film but anyway continuing with the plot uh when she's found you know she's in the hospital 
and she doesn't know who her parents are. She doesn't know that her name is Aubrey and she claims that her name is Dakota. Now Dakota is a stripper and you know what a stark contrast from nice girl Aubrey who not just plays the piano by the way she also writes and she once wrote a story about a girl named Dakota who has the same traits as her new alter ego Dakota. Are you keeping up? It's it's a lot. So of course Dakota is the polar opposite of Aubrey. She had a terrible upbringing. She is on hard times. She's stripping. She has an attitude whereas Aubrey is super nice. Aubrey is more conservative and Dakota just has sex whenever she wants and you know it loves it and all that kind of stuff like very you know two opposites right and so how the story unfolds is uh interesting and also not interesting at all you know it's one of those you're not sure if you're compelled or disgusted or bored I mean there's there's a lot (laughs) there's a lot happening in this film I see what Lindsay was trying to do here you know she really wanted to transition into adult roles she had been saying that for years I think she just went a little too far with this movie like first of all it's a bad movie period but I think she would have done better in a movie that was a psychological thriller but wasn't quite so gruesome I love horror movies I've seen it all I've seen the most gruesome disgusting gory things and I'm really all about story I'm not one of those people that goes into a horror movie saying "Ooh, I want to see blood and guts I don't really care about that like it's entertaining and I like it from a technical perspective because I also work in the industry so I just love seeing how they pull off horror effects and things like that Not very well done in this movie, by the way, but I'm more of a story person. So you can show me any type of disgusting gore or gratuitous sex. And if there's a good story behind it, I will still be in love with the movie. This one doesn't have a great story. It doesn't have great characters. It doesn't have a good backbone. So even though stylistically, there are some things that I do like, I like the color palette of this movie very much. It, it just falls apart because you don't really care very much about the characters of the story. At least I didn't. And I rewatched this about a week ago for this podcast. I hadn't seen it in years. I was wondering if maybe I would like it more because the horror community especially has really come around on this film. And actually by doing research, I found out that there were a lot of people who actually did praise it even when it came out. You know, people that don't really care about celebrity gossip and are more just like horror fans, they just took it for what it was. They weren't thinking, oh my God, Lindsay's such a screw up. Ha ha ha, look at her with this bad movie. You know, they didn't really care about that, but it has even more fans now. I mean, it's considered a cult classic. There have been many think pieces about this movie. There have been many people posting on social media saying, that it's actually not that bad and I love that even though I don't personally agree like I think it's bad I (laughs) I think it's really cool and I'm happy for Lindsay that something that she worked on that was just so reviled and that she was relentlessly mocked for I'm just really happy that she can have something from this time that is more or less a considered a win for her because okay this might not be an academy award-winning film in fact it's quite the opposite it won like a million razzie awards at least it has some legacy and it has some fans and it has appreciation which you know the next few years of Lindsay's life and career I mean up until today she doesn't really release very many movies and if they are they're not great so 
I'm happy that people are enjoying this movie. The budget was $12 million and it only made $9.6 million worldwide. So that's horrendous. It was nominated for, like I said, several Razzie, aka the Golden Raspberry Awards, including Worst Picture, Worst Director, Worst Actress, Worst Screenplay, Worst Screen Couple, meaning Lindsay and Lindsay, Worst Excuse for a Horror Movie, Worst Remake slash Ripoff, which I don't know... It's not a remake. I don't know what they're talking about there. And also Julia Ormond, who plays Lindsay's mother, was nominated for Worst Supporting Actress. And I believe they won like all of them. Oh no, they won all of them except for Julia Ormond didn't win for supporting. I guess she wasn't that bad after all. And actually she has this great scene. One of my favorite scenes in this movie, which is such an awkward scene, is when Dakota has sex with Aubrey's boyfriend because they previously show that Aubrey doesn't even really like this guy. I don't... I don't know. I think they're just friends and she's like, whatever, we're just friends. Like, we're not going to hook up. But he's like in love with her. But Dakota, she is a freewheeling uh, single gal and she is ready to sleep with anyone. So when he comes over to say hi to Aubrey and like, you know, visit her after her horrible attack, uh, Dakota's DTF and they play this really bad porn music, like really bad porn music. It, they had to have done it on purpose. Like there's no way that they didn't know how hilarious this was. And Lindsay bangs the hell out of this kid. It's just funny because Julia Ormond playing Aubrey slash Dakota's mom is downstairs trying to clean the kitchen because she can hear all the moaning coming from upstairs so she's trying to like distract herself and not hear it and she's horrified because you know her perfect little Aubrey would never loudly have sex with her boyfriend upstairs and she's kind of trying to adjust to this new person and you know in the movie even though she says I'm Dakota I'm not Aubrey the doctors and everybody are like she's clearly Aubrey but because she went through this traumatic experience something in her brain fractured and she thinks she's this different person. And I won't tell you if it really is a different person or if it's all in her head or, or whatever. But as I, I was getting at before, if Lindsay had done a psychological thriller that was not so gratuitously gruesome and had a better story, I think that it would have been a much easier transition for her into more adult roles. Like if she played a cop or something in a more generic type of psychological thriller like trust me I love weird movies and B movies and I hate generic movies but I think just for her to kind of appease more people at this time I think it would have been better if she did something that would have worked for a larger audience. So Lindsay explains what the appeal of the movie was for her and she says I don't think there has been a role for an actress like this movie was for me in so long at first I was like I can't do this I'm getting my legs cut off I don't want to look like that in scenes I want to look decent but that was just me being young and stupid and I have my first sex scene in it which I always said I wouldn't do I wanted to do this movie so people can see that I'm a fucking actress and I've been doing it forever and it's about time people see that. It felt so good to really act. I just pray people won't rip me apart for it and be negative. The thing with the press and why they need to leave me the fuck alone for a little bit is because I don't want that distracting from my work. I want to get a nomination. I want to win an Oscar. I want to be known for more than like going out, for being the party girl. I hate that. I bust my ass when I'm filming and when I have time off, yeah, I like to go out and dance. <laughs> it always comes back to I don't want to be a party girl I just want to act but then she consistently goes out even you know fresh out of rehab she's like the day after flying to Vegas going to pure 
But that's the disease. That's the disease of alcoholism and substance abuse addiction. I mean, that's textbook, right? So this has a 9% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. The audience score is a little higher with 26%. I anticipate in the next few years that percentage will go up too because I feel like, as I said before, this movie is only kind of gaining in favor. And it really always was. I actually saw on Wikipedia that the DVD slash home video performance of I Know Who Killed Me almost quadrupled the box office gross. So that right there shows you it's developed a cult following. Not only are more people buying it and have been over time, but there's a lot of screenings put together by repertory theaters and film festivals and things like that. So I do think it will continue to garner more fans. Joshua Rothkop from Time Out gave the film three out of five stars and wrote the headline, the movie is often a disaster, but it's highly revealing in every way of its troubled star. Now would be the perfect moment for Lindsay Lohan to knock us out with the kind of performance she's capable of. As it happens, the bizarre thriller I Know Who Killed Me is 10 times more fascinating as an accidental piece of private exposure. One that ends with Lohan literally digging her own grave to find another dark-haired, husky starlet staring up at her. A hallucinatory psychodrama that owes more to Mulholland Drive than to captivity. This movie has Lohan straddling two roles as in life. Good girl Aubrey, a piano student and football player's crush, suffers from a particularly gruesome abduction that costs her an arm and a leg. Then she takes on the identity of bad girl Dakota, a former pole dancer and man-eater. Aubrey's parents tear themselves apart during her unraveling. Detectives scowl and Dakota decides to hobble her way to her torturer's identity. The hard R imagery is filled with feverish symbols of lost potency. Multiple hand loppings, a hairless cat. Oh my god, I forgot about the hairless cat. <laughs> this movie lohan's own excessive profanity and desperate grinding on the pole yeah i don't attribute a creative intelligence to such a perfect match of material and actor how would lohan even know to choose it but this will undoubtedly be the key of her film career a sacred expression of total meltdown now as far as Lindsay's performance goes it's not as good as you want it to be what i love is when an actress can make a bad script semi-good. You know, you really can't save a bad script. It's not an actor's fault if they can't save it. But sometimes you see a really bad movie, but the actresses in it are great. And they just really elevate it. And she didn't do that for this movie. I mean, her acting is good because she's still Lindsay, but it's kind of like, and I don't want to rip apart her looks at all because she's gorgeous no matter what. And she still looked gorgeous in this movie. Just like I'm saying, she still was good, a good actor. But when it comes to her looks, if you think about the fact that this movie was only three years after Mean Girls and you look at Lindsay's face in Mean Girls and in this movie, like I said, still gorgeous. But she looks like she has aged so quickly. You know, she filmed this movie when she was 20, and she looks like 30 to 35. She looks tired, you know? she Her face just looks a little different, and it's not surgery or anything. You can tell that she's been through it, and that's what kind of makes her great for the role, because obviously she's playing... Well, partly she's playing a character who's had a hard life. So it does kind of lend itself to what she's trying to do. But 
it's crazy because you just can't I mean you just can't believe that somebody could age that much and and like I said she's still beautiful and if you had never seen Lindsay Lohan before this movie you wouldn't really think anything of it but just to see how fast she aged in three years after Mean Girls where she's literally like porcelain skin big smile you know I mean just it's just very startling I do admire her for trying to be in rehab while she made this movie I'm I'm hoping that it was a better experience for her being that she was in rehab but you can just see that this person is struggling I mean you really can tell but not in like a fascinating way like a Marilyn Monroe way more of like oh this is sad you know this is clouding her judgment too because why would she choose a movie this bad and even if you compare it to like Georgia Rule, which came out just a couple months before this and was filmed just a few months before this was filmed, she looks like a different person too there. Even though she was hard partying, she looks a bit healthier in that movie. You could say Georgia Rule's a bad movie and that's fine. Like that's your opinion and you're allowed to have that. I have my issues with that movie, but like it's still a high quality, well-made movie. Like it's a talented, famous, iconic Hollywood director, Gary Marshall, it has really big, legit stars in it. It has nice cinematography. It has great styling. Like, it had a lot of talent in it, even if the final product maybe isn't your favorite movie. When you watch this movie, it just, it feels cheap. It feels unprofessional. It isn't well made for the most part. There are some things that are well done, and I'll get more to that in a minute, but Entertainment Weekly gave it an F, and said it's a shock to see that Lindsay Lohan, even with her boundless flair for self-destruction, would sign on for a grisly piece of torture porn. And really, did she have to choose such a gruesomely tawdry and inept one? Inept is a great word to describe this movie. I know who killed me is beyond bad, it's just wrong. The Washington Post actually gave this movie a pretty positive review. Stephen Hunter said, Lindsay Lohan gets an A for a B flick. So much notoriety fogs the drama of Lindsay Lohan's life these days that it's probably easier to review that than her actual movie. But surprise, the not screened in advance for press I Know Who Killed Me is a credible piece of pop entertainment of the hottie in distress genre. So what he means by not screened in advance for press, you know how movie reviews come out before a movie comes out. So the studio sets up free screenings for critics to go to so that they can review the movie and help promote it, obviously. Now it's mostly done digitally by sending a copy via email or something. And it rarely happens, but if a studio knows their movie is super, super bad, they just won't screen it in advance for the press because they know that it's going to get bad reviews and they know it's going to do poorly, so they just want to not screen it at all in hopes that people just won't notice that reviews are not coming out and they'll say oh I was interested in that movie let me go see it instead of being deterred by the obvious bad reviews they know are coming so it's always a bad sign when something is not screened in advance for the press and this movie is exactly the type of movie that is always not screened for the press so he continues, the genre is no favorite of critics or responsible adults who have no desire to observe its conventions. Lots of pain, torture, and bondage suffered by said hottie, followed by righteously administered way cool death to perpetrator. But if you accept those conventions, I know delivers on them in a trim, if not violent package and gives Lohan a chance to show she knows a little something about the acting trade. Okay, I disagree. It does not deliver in a trim a violent package. It is not trim. This movie is an hour and 47 minutes. I remember that because when I turned it on for my most recent rewatch for this podcast, 
I looked at the running time and I sighed because like I remembered how bad the movie was and I was like this is this is that long I mean you could have told a story in a cool 87 minutes dude you didn't need an hour and 47 And by the way, in 2019, the director actually revealed that there is an existence of a three and a half hour long director's cut. There's just not enough bottles of alcohol in the world to get me through that. I'm sorry, there just isn't. And he said to a lot of people, it doesn't make sense. And there were a lot of plot scenes, especially a lot of investigative FBI stuff that were just totally cut out of the movie. I was more interested at the time with just the weirdness of it all. So he's saying like, In this three and a half hour long director's cut, there's scenes that will make you understand the plot of the movie better and not completely get lost. So that might be true. And him saying I was more interested at the time with the weirdness of it all, that makes sense because you can tell that this movie is weird for the sake of being weird, like the whole hairless cat thing. Like, of course, there's a hairless cat, which I kind of like because it's kind of like a reference to the early horror movies where every haunted house had a gothic feel and would have like a strange butler and a weird cat and, you know, gargoyles and stuff like that. Like it kind of lends itself to that. Fangoria Magazine, which is a horror magazine and and website, gave it a positive review and said, Director Silverstein languidly unspools I Know Who Killed Me's narrative, teasing and enticing the audience as he reveals the characters' backstories, and while the third act narrative sags to an extent given the sheer amount of suspense it shoulders, the finale remains quite satisfying. I don't agree with that. But for me, by the by the time the finale comes up, I'm so disinterested and you've lost me that I just really don't even care what happens in the finale. And I have already forgotten a lot of it, having seen it a week ago. The movie is not good. And I, I just don't, I don't need to ever watch it again, honestly, unless I'm at like a party or something weird, you know? They continue, the director and his visual team bathe the film in deep blues and reds, a welcome departure from the dirty green sodium lit palette of similarly themed horror fare, and the end result is simply a beautiful eye-popping visual treat so stylized that one can't help recalling Argento's approach to Suspiria. Other cinematic homages appear as well, from a De Palma-esque split screen to a nod to Psycho's shower scene. Okay, so this is one thing about the movie I actually really like. It has this beautiful color palette of blues and reds. And I agree, if you're a horror fan, you'll completely recognize what they're saying with the dirty green sodium lit palette of similarly themed horror fare. They're talking about Saw mostly and hostile copied Saw and all of that. But there's a very like industrial, gloomy look to horror films around this time. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake is a good example. But... This movie looks so different from other horror movies. And to me, that's one of the things that makes horror movies stand out. Like for instance, a good example, if you're not familiar with horror is Scream. Like Scream has a very distinct color palette. The first one, it has very bright colors. Wes Craven chose to film a lot of scenes in bright areas or outside against beautiful landscapes, whereas other types of movies and lesser directors would put a scene happening in a dark alleyway or something because they want to create that mood. But Scream didn't need to do that because the script and the story was so good that he could set these scenes in the beautiful California sunshine with these gorgeous backdrops and you're still scared and you're still nervous and you're still intrigued and there doesn't have to be an owl going who in the background or anything like that it's just it's it's scary because of the story and this movie I think a lot of the lack of good story is made up for with 
the visuals because it is visually interesting to watch because you never know when something is going to be red or blue that doesn't necessarily need to be red or blue like it's stylized and when you're talking about the word stylized in terms of film that just means that there's extra oomph I like to say given to things that don't normally have extra oomph like to me that's the easiest way to understand what a stylized film is compared to one that you would say you wouldn't say that about. This movie doesn't look like anything else and I really, really, really appreciate that and I really like that. So Fangoria continues, performances are solid throughout and although there are one or two flatline deliveries from Lohan, perhaps due to her personal issues during production, they are more than made up for by her entirely committed and hard as nails portrayal of Dakota, some which is rather uncomfortable to watch in light of her recent brushes with the law. Lohan and Julia Orman sell the strained possible mother-daughter dynamic as well and the young actress and Garrity make great use of the comedic aspect inherent in their relationship. That's the guy who plays her boyfriend. As I said, this movie has gotten a lot of articles written about it in subsequent years, especially recently. IndieWire wrote, I Know Who Killed Me is the definitive Lindsay Lohan film. Nothing else even comes close. A close reading of the film will tell you everything you need to know about her public image. In many ways, I Know Who Killed Me is a remake of The Parent Trap in which Lindsay must play two roles. This time, her two characters depict the Lindsay Lohan before and after. It has a preposterous twist ending that can only be described as The Parent Trap by way of Sisters Meets Hostel. However, this is the best film to watch if you want to find out if Lindsay is actually a capable actress, able to elevate bad material and earn a viewer's sympathies. The truth is that she can. Not everybody could make an amputee sex scene as convincing as Lindsay does. Perhaps because she shot the film during rehab, she is clearly working hard, committing herself blindly, and coming through completely unscathed. She did not come through completely unscathed. Like, people hated her around this time. I don't know what they are smoking, but I would love to uh, try some because Lindsay was so scathed. I mean, I think she's still probably dealing with a lot of what she went through at this time. I'm really glad that she presents us so happy and healthy in 2022, but she has to be going through things like that. That excerpt just goes to show you how think PC all of these articles are people take this movie so fucking seriously now and I just can't I just can't do that you guys that's just never gonna happen so speaking of the world treating Lindsay horribly and mocking her to death the LA Times published a piece called Lindsay's Hollywood career may it rest in peace and this was in August 2007 when she was in rehab at the Cirque Lodge in Utah. Now, if you didn't hear me talk about her rehab stays in the last episode, definitely go back and listen to that because you might be wondering, well, what happened between July and October 2007? Not much because Lindsay was in rehab during that entire time. In September, she was on the cover of Elle magazine, some quotes of which I already shared in the last episode. And she was also on the cover of Maxim because she was number one on the Maxim Hot 100 of 2007, which just goes to show that she still was hot. And I don't mean hot like they're talking about here, <laughs> like hot as in sexy. I mean, she was still hot in terms of her career she did a lot this year like she did a lot of positive things this year too and I guess this was considered a positive back then but they used pictures of her from 2006 I believe they were shot in and they're gorgeous pictures but she just doesn't look the same as she looked when this was released so it would have been nice to get a new photo shoot with her but 
this time she was not leaving rehab for those types of reasons. I think her previous two rehab stays, I'm not saying she had too much freedom, but just the fact that she was in LA and in Malibu during those times, I think it really allowed her to veer off course more and getting her out of her natural environment and out to Utah, I think really helped her. So I'm glad that she didn't grant them a photo shoot and leave for the day and fly to LA and, you know, go do the shoot and fly back and get back to treatment and get tested and all that kind of stuff. I think she really just needed to focus and stay in one place for a while. And honestly, like if you're going to risk relapsing, Maxim is not the magazine to do it for. I've never, I, I, don't, I usually don't like Maxim's photo shoots. Like I'm down for like a sexy slutty photo shoot. I love that. But like, I don't know. I don't love Maxim. Never have. I think the number one on the Hot 100, I think like that's not any type of honor. Like that's sad to me that they ranked women. Like, I mean, if you're in any position except number one, that's so uncomfortable. Like imagine, oh, I'm number four on the Hot 100. Yeah, like Lindsay Lohan, Britney Spears, and Christina Aguilera are all hotter than me, but I'm number four. It's like, okay. Like, and what about the women that were like 98, 99? You know, like that, can't possibly feel good but I'm sure your agent is telling you that it has to feel good oh my god you're on the hot 100 how exciting it's like yeah but there's 98 women that they found that are hotter than me like somebody sat in a boardroom with their co-workers and discussed how there's 98 people on the earth that are definitely hotter than me like what it's just a very weird concept and I've always kind of looked at it like mm, really you know so Lindsay was released from the Cirque Lodge on October 5th and went into an outpatient program. She did a lot of wholesome things, you know, not partying, not going to clubs. She was spending a lot of time with her family. She had reunited with her father, Michael, in Utah, which was a big deal because they hadn't seen or talked for a very long time. He wasn't at her birthday that year or the year before, I think. She had spoken multiple times how she doesn't talk to him, she doesn't see him. So that was a big deal. And, you know, she was photographed doing things like going pumpkin picking and going to the gym. And it seemed like this third rehab stay was actually really working and that she was successful. She did her first post-rehab interview with OK Magazine and she said, I hit rock bottom. Everything in my life came to a point where I had to make a decision. The arrest that night helped me come to a point where I had to make one. And regarding staying on the road to recovery and how she would do that, she says, by surrounding myself with good people who have their hearts and their minds in the right places. They asked her if she had any desire to leave the film industry and Hollywood behind. She said, absolutely not. Never. I'm here to stay. My talent is a gift and I'm going to use it the right way. Oh, it's just so nice that I'm reading this and all these years later, she actually is making movies again and movies that seem decent. I mean, I don't know what the other two are going to be about, but the Hallmark Christmas movie is what it is. I mean, it's not actually a Hallmark movie, right? It's Netflix, but it's very much akin to a Hallmark movie. She spoke about the continuing feud between her parents and said, I wish it would stop. It hurts when two people you love argue with one another. I don't think any child wants to see their parents argue or see their family fall apart. Unfortunately, it happens, and when it does, they should do it with as little effect on their children as possible. Ooh, she just said a mouthful. She also revealed that she is worried about relapsing and says, if I wasn't worried, I'd be living in denial. Temptation is always there, but now I'll avoid it in the right way. She says her rehab experience was sobering. <laughs> I love Lindsay. Her rehab experience was sobering, my queen. Uh, she also said it was humbling and said it made her look at herself and look at all the right people, places, and things in her life a different way. 
In early November, she started her community service and she was kind of laying low around this time. She wasn't photographed as much. She wasn't in the tabloids as much. And on November 15th, 2007, Lindsay reported to the Century Regional Detention Facility in Linwood, California for a minimum of a 24-hour stay. She was serving her jail time, y'all. She got a day in jail, so she rolled up to prison and took her mugshot. This was a much better mugshot than the last one. Like she was clearly wearing makeup and she was like ready for the picture. She wasn't high, you know. She actually checked in to jail around 10.30 a.m. and she was released by 11.54 a.m. So our girl was released after only 84 minutes due to overcrowding. That overcrowding really helps people. This is the same jail that Paris Hilton went to and she was released early as well. She had to do more than 84 minutes, but still. It says Lohan 21 had been sentenced in August to one day in jail after admitting guilt to drinking and drug charges and was told by the court to serve her time before January. Jail sentences for minor crimes are often cut short by the LA sheriffs who manage county jails because of overcrowding. In August, actress Nicole Ritchie of The Simple Life, actress, <laughs> spent one hour and 20 minutes in jail on what was a four-day sentence for driving under the influence of drugs. So now I'm going to talk a little bit about Lindsay's boyfriends in 2007 because I didn't include them in the last episode. I find neither of them particularly interesting. I think that she was just casually seeing both of them and it wasn't true love with either of these guys. I also think she was already seeing Samantha on and off and then there were other rumors too but these are the main guys. So she was definitely in a relationship with Callum Best who is a footballer from the UK's son and apparently this guy's dad I don't know anything about UK sports but is like an extremely famous like he's like a David Beckham type of person so Callum was like living in the shadow and <laughs> I'm not sure if he was on TV yet when he met Lindsay but he became a reality star and you know basically just lives off of his family's reputation from what I know in 2015 he came out with a book called second best my dad and me and claimed his relationship with Lindsay was very tumultuous. He dated her from 2006-2007 on and off. So that's the time period we're talking about here. And he said that his relationship with her led to some of the worst moments of his life. It says, after meeting at a club one Monday night, the reality star recalls partying with the then budding actress in London, New York and Barbados. He says, things aren't so simple because the two of us together are combustible. At this moment in our lives, we're both a bit nuts, he admits. We both like to party and it makes things tempestuous. He admits to abusing cocaine and alcohol during that period of time and confesses he treated the much younger Lindsay poorly. When we go out, I flirt with other girls, sometimes in front of her, and one day she catches me hanging out with another girl in my hotel room, he writes in the book. After a brief split, the pair got back together, but days later, the party boy says he shared a debaucherous night with a woman he identifies as an escort. To Best's shock, the woman taped the whole affair. A news outlet released photos from the scandalous video. There's one of me in a towel and one of me doing a line of coke, he writes. I've been caught on tape with drugs and hookers. I am now really, truly fucked. Callum says Lindsay called him an asshole and kicked him to the curb. Despite her mad life, he says, he still swears Lohan is a, quote, lovely girl. Obviously, I'm not surprised that he had a substance abuse issue at the same time. I mean, with 
all of the hell Lindsay was raising, she would have to be with somebody like that who was down to do the same shit. Cause like when someone is falling down the rabbit hole like Lindsay is, you have to be a fellow partier. You have to be an enabler to be able to be close with her. So I think that even though it was probably unhealthy, they were right for each other at the time if they wanted somebody to spiral with. And I'm so proud of Lindsay that, you know, when she found out about his debauchery, she dumped his ass like, good for you, girl. You don't need that shit. And you could tell that like he wasn't a ride or die guy. Like he wasn't the guy that was going to stay by her side during all these rehab stays and go pick her up from jail and shit like that. I think he was just somebody for her to have fun with. So while Lindsay was in rehab, the third time at the Cirque Lodge in Utah, she started dating this guy, Riley Giles, who was also in rehab at the time, obviously. They were together after she left rehab too, like he's in some of her candids from her post-rehab time. And like I said, she was kind of laying low, so there aren't as many pictures and stuff from this time, but they are seen together here and there from when she entered rehab in August to like, I don't know, October, November. So Riley Giles is a 25-year-old snowboarder in 2007. So of course, after they broke up, about a month after they broke up actually, he decided to sell a story to Britain's News of the World. And he told them she is a sex addict. And then he goes into a graphic description of what they did together. So he alleges that Lindsay quit coke and got hooked on sex with me. What a class act. He also describes a mountain cabin getaway where the two went to escape rehab together. He says they locked the door, tore off their clothes, and went at it like rabbits. He says, Lindsay's definitely a nymphomaniac. She's wild in bed. We'd have sex a couple times in the day and then go to it through the night. We did it once four times in a row straight. That was crazy. Lindsay was insatiable. She demands sex again and again. We'd go at it for hours. If you have an addictive personality like Lindsay, you need to replace the highs you got from taking drugs all the time. Sex became a key part of her recovery and we didn't get out of bed for days. The cabin was the perfect place. Roaring fires with amazing views over the Sundance Ski Resort. We couldn't get enough of each other. Lindsay would tell me she loved me and I'd say that to her too and I don't say that to a lot of girls. She told me she'd only ever had three serious boyfriends and I'm one of them. We even planned on getting a house and living together out here in Utah. We were together here every day for a month and after that I could tell she really loved me a lot by the way she cried and cried when we had to say goodbye at the airport. It is true that a lot of addicts when they quit they end up finding another addiction. For a lot of people it's food. I've heard about that more often. You know, someone will say, I've been sober a year, but I gained 35 pounds. It is hard because you feel like you need a vice, I think. You need something. I could totally see this being true. I mean, I think he's an absolute prick for selling a story to the press. He's probably exaggerating, but yeah, I believe him. So like I said, Lindsay was pretty much laying low, but a few days before the new year, she went to the Capri Film Festival in Italy and got all dressed up. She looked gorgeous. She wore like very sparkly sequined outfits, very New Year's of her. And then she flew home and actually spent the holiday in New York. She finally learned that you cannot go to Miami for New Year's every year if you have addiction issues. It's not a good idea. And she finally, our girl got it. On January 7th, 2008, Larry King was reading 
celebrities messages that they had sent into his show regarding their new year's resolutions and Lindsay called in and says hey larry happy new year one of my resolutions for 2008 is to cut down on smoking i started back in the recording studio on my third album to smoke less is one of my top priorities so it's crazy now to know that she never released a third album because so many articles from around this time she mentions that she's working on her third album where she was just in the studio doing a song you could tell it was something she really really wanted so even though there were some stray songs released over the years it does make me sad that this third album never saw the light of day I wonder if the tracks are still out there somewhere I wonder if she would ever release them or maybe re-record them depending on how much those songs meant to her how hard she worked on them at the time it would just be interesting to hear them in late January and all throughout February she starts getting a little more adventurous and going to more parties like the Clive Davis Grammy party she also went to the Cloverfield premiere and in February she also dyed her hair dark again so I think people were speculating "Ooh, is she doing another dark movie because you know she had red hair and then she had blonde hair for Prairie Home Companion and then for her dark movies like Bobby and I Know Who Killed Me she has dark hair oh in chapter 27 you know she has dark hair so it was like hmm what is she doing with the dark hair but on March 3rd 2008 she actually appeared in New York Magazine with blonde hair this photo shoot that she did is pretty iconic it's the one where she remakes Marilyn Monroe's photo shoot where she is naked she's laying in bed she's also nude standing holding a pink sheet in front of her so you can vaguely see her naked but not really and one of the reasons why this is such an iconic photo shoot for Marilyn is because it was her last photo shoot before she passed away so it's a very tragic thing and I think a lot of people felt like Lindsay was almost glamorizing that tragedy and comparing herself to Marilyn in a way. Salon was not very kind to her. They said, surely you've heard. Lindsay Lohan has publicly exposed her body for the first time, except for um that chest and cooter flashing phase, in a New York Magazine remake of Marilyn Monroe's infamous photo series, The Last Sitting. Photographer Bert Stern recreated the iconic photos he took 46 years ago during three booze-filled days at the Hotel Bel Air. Things were slightly different this time. The one-on-one intimacy of the original shoot was updated with a protective Hollywood entourage. Monroe's airy locks were poorly duplicated by a straw blonde wig, and presumably the 78-year-old didn't have designs to sleep with his muse this time around. Some things, though, remain the same. Lohan playfully and seductively rolls amid white sheets and exposes her breasts again and again and again behind a series of sheer scarves. But far more interesting than the photos, which you may or may not be able to access as the site's server has been overloaded, far more interesting than the photos is what inspired Lohan to officially reveal her private bits for the camera. The thrice rehabbed starlet says she simply couldn't turn down the opportunity to recreate the final photographic romp before Marilyn overdosed on barbiturates. She felt being asked to participate was in itself really an honor. This requires repeating, the rehab veteran felt honored to recreate the final booze-fueled photo shoot that came just six weeks before Monroe died in an overdose. In fact, Lohan idolizes the late icon. She has filled her house with Monroe memorabilia, including a painting showing a tipped-over bottle of pills next to her, and even purchased an apartment where the star once lived. I think 
Lindsay at this time and Lindsay in the next few years, she really embraces the like, I'm a messy train wreck thing. Her photo shoots show it, the way she talks, like her attitude shows it. I mean, I would say she was defensive too with the media up until just a couple years ago. For her part, Lohan frames the shoot as a way to revolt against the soul-grinding Hollywood machine. She tells New York that both Monroe and the recently deceased Heath Ledger are prime examples of what this industry can do to someone. Much as she might deconstruct the Hollywood cooter cabaret of 2006, that Monroe's decision to disrobe was subversive. She's saying, look, you've taken a lot from me, so why don't I give it to you myself, Lohan says. She's taking her control back, except there is no self-protection, no real reclamation of personal power there. Enthusiastically objectifying oneself seems to only satisfy and confirm the public's total ownership of female celebrities. The New York piece exalts how Stern's original photo series preserved the poignant humanity of the real woman, beautiful but also fragile, needy, flawed from the monumental sex symbol. But what I ask is the difference. They are one and the same. Ultimately, the last setting didn't dampen Monroe's sex symbol flame, but fanned it. Stern's series of photographers are part and parcel to Monroe's ultimate legacy and symbolism. So in March, Lindsay was seen starting to go to clubs again, such as Hyde and Kobe Club. This, you know, it makes me sad, but it doesn't really surprise me. I feel like she really, at this time, she was desperate to to keep her social life and continue to be able to go to the same places without getting high or drunk there. That's like being at the circus and saying, mm, I am not going to see a clown no matter what. I still want to be at the circus, okay? There's lots of other things to see at the circus. There's lots of other things to do at the circus. I'm just going to not even look at the clowns. I'm not even going to think about the clowns. And yet, the clowns are everywhere. You know what I mean? <laughs> In March, she was on the cover of Glamour UK, and she talks about the temptations that are around her to relapse. And she says, there are friends that have been hard to hang out with because they've gone down a different path. But it's hard because I'm the kind of person who wants to trust everyone. This girl shouldn't have been trusting anyone, never mind everyone. Jesus. I wonder if Lindsay's like really broke now or what. I know she just married that rich guy, but I wonder how much of her fortune she lost. Lindsay says, I'm fine being alone during the day, but I hate being alone at night. I like having friends around me, but now I'd much rather be at home. That's not to say I'll never go out to a club again, because I'd be lying. <laughs> Once again, she was asked the number one thing that she's always asked, what are the biggest misconceptions about her? And she says that I don't have my head in the right place. That and that I'm probably not a good person, because actually I am. Lindsay was also on the cover of Harper's Bazaar this month, and it was actually the first of two cover appearances this year. They just absolutely loved her. This photo shoot was a big deal. Like the paparazzi captured her shooting it because they filmed it in public in New York City. And it has this weird theme. Like there's one setup where Lindsay is walking with Spider-Man and then baby Spider-Man in a baby carriage <laughs> and other superhero themes. It's cool. I mean, it's creative and different at least. I definitely didn't expect to see what I saw when I googled that, so check out that photo shoot. She told the magazine that she was dreaming about the rest of her music career, and she says, I'd love to work with Timbaland, Kanye West, and 50 Cent if I could. She said that she was doing well after rehab. Of her fame, Lindsay said, the cameras are constantly there, and they're constantly looking for the negative. So one roll of the eyes, and you're deemed drunk. One wrong step, your ankle twists, and you're drunk. They can declare, Lindsay drunk in the day, which I never was in my life, actually. I don't believe that Lindsay was never day drunk. 
But I actually do agree with her here. I think, and I see this all the time, I see people pile on as soon as they figure out that somebody is an addict or if they're accusing them of being an addict, it's like every single time there's a picture of that person or that person is on TV. It doesn't even matter what they're saying or doing. The public is just like, oh, she's drunk. Oh, she's obviously drunk. And I do think that a lot of the time people assume the most dramatic thing. Oh, she must be drunk if she's making a weird face. Or if, oh, she's talking slower, so she must be high. It's like, mm, that's, you know, I don't like, you know what, I, I think there's a lot of culture in this kind of early 2000s pop culture podcast world that we're in. I think there's a lot of weird attitude in it where people always just assume the most scandalous thing is true. People will automatically go to, oh, that person's gay. Like, oh, every good looking guy in Hollywood is gay. Didn't you know that? You know, or they'll, it's always, oh yeah, they cheated, obviously. Like, obviously they cheated. Like, it just always, they go to the most bad thing that you can do. And I think that that's what a lot of people do. And that's one of the reasons why Lindsay was seen the way that she was seen around this time. Lindsay described herself as somebody who never stops and she says, I have it in me to go, go, go. I'm still young. I love life. I love music and being around that. I love people and I'm a very social person, but I also love being home quiet and normal. I've always been a homebody. Seriously. I was just running away from what my home had become. That's a lot. You know, when Lindsay decides to share, she really does. Like, she says a mouthful, you know? Lindsay said that part of the reason why she was struggling so much was her family issues. And she said, not seeing my father was really hard for me and not being with my family enough. I wasn't taking any time to just sit and live and breathe. I was going, 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 and that ran me down. It was a stressor. It upset me. I didn't have a father to call, and that was a lot of the pain. I'm a family girl. I love my family. I love them to death. They're amazing, and that's something you can't take for granted. When I look back on this last year, it's like, what was I thinking? I've learned so much though, like learning to live my life in a different way, and I wasn't taking the time to feel my feelings. Being away and going to a place where I could learn about that and take the time with a clear mind to get back on the right track was nice. The magazine asked her if she dreams of a time when she will be less public, less infamous, when the lenses are trained on someone else. And she replies, this is so interesting, after all she's been through in the press, she goes, I don't know if I want there to be. This is what I do. This is what comes with it. Lindsay enjoys being famous. Oh, I'm so happy that her comeback is happening, you guys. I'm, oh, this is going to be so fun. Anyway, she's also this month on the cover of Paper Magazine, and this was another weird, interesting photo shoot. The article is called Girl Interrupted, which, you know, makes sense with the state of her life at the time. She's playing like a construction worker in this editorial, like a fancy construction worker with couture on. She wears uh, Lanvin and Jeremy Scott, you know. She's like wearing a hard hat and drilling in these designer dresses. It's actually pretty awesome. The quote that they put on the cover of the magazine with Lindsay is, I am what I am. And she says, I think everybody should just be who they are. I think it's an important message to send instead of trying to be someone else. Amen, girl. So many people in this world are afraid to be themselves. Lindsay says, I've been doing this for so long and I've grown up very fast and I have different responsibilities than people have at my age. It's taken me some time to recognize that and I've gone through the phases that I've had to go through. So now I'm growing up and hopefully people are growing with me. So Lindsay was doing some charity work at this time. She actually had her community service with the Red Cross. So she collaborated once again with them. And 
<laughs> she did this exhibit that's kind of funny to me. So it was at the Atelier building in New York. It says Lohan personally selected pictures from her favorite photographers, which she feels represents, quote, the mood behind her tattoos, which I just like, I find that hilarious because it's just so self-centered. Here are the photos that represent the mood behind my tattoos. Like, which photo represented the breathe white tattoo on her wrist? And what photo represented La Bella Vita on her back? You know, I just think that's funny. But it's still a great thing, right? Because it benefited the American Red Cross and Lindsay got to choose photographers to spotlight. And I always think if you are in the position where you're super famous, of course you should pump up other artists and let your fans know about them. So it was actually kind of a great thing that she did that. It took Lindsay's film, Chapter 27, a long time to find distribution and actually come out. If you remember in the last episode, I said that it had premiered at Sundance. Lindsay didn't get to go because she was in rehab. And it took a full year and some change to come out to the public so it was released march 28 2008 in new york city and the next week the rest of the country but it was still a very limited release so you know one of those independent releases that really only gains momentum if critics go crazy for it and it does really well on the few screens that it performed on and unfortunately it did not the total box office gross for this movie is only a hundred and eighty seven thousand four hundred and eighty eight dollars which is quite sad on rotten tomatoes it has an 18 percent and a 37 percent audience score. The summary on Rotten Tomatoes says, despite Jared Leto's committed performance, chapter 27 fails to penetrate the mind of Mark David Chapman, John Lennon's killer. Now, one of the reasons why this film couldn't find a distributor is because there was some controversy followed by petitions and protests, which caused the film to be delayed. And I think the reason is because John Lennon is still such a beloved figure, and I don't really think any of us want to get inside the mind of Mark David Chapman. And this is coming from somebody, me, that finds serial killers interesting. I mean, Mark David Chapman wasn't a serial killer because he only killed John Lennon, to my knowledge. But I find all that stuff super interesting. And I don't know, I just was never really interested in this film because I just think of Mark David Chapman as a mentally ill person who unfortunately took the life of somebody that inspired millions. And I mean, it's just such a horrible thing to think about, especially as a Beatles fan. And I think for anybody, it's a horrible thing to think about. But, it, you know, I, I love the Beatles so much and I love John Lennon. And it, it's just something that I, I didn't really want my mind to go there and think about this person who took away such a, an amazing human being from the world. So I never saw it. I watched it actually specifically for this podcast. And my opinion of the film is it's very much not a must-see. I think it's lacking a real visual style I think it lacks a message which actually kind of makes sense because it lends itself to the idea that killing is just pointless if you love Lindsay to death you might want to watch it because although her role is small she is really adorable in it and I feel like she kind of adds a breath of fresh air the only thing about her role is that it's really a role anybody could have played there's nothing super special about her character there's nothing in the script that requires a really good actress or anything they could have gotten anyone and it would have been fine but I think they just wanted an it girl and I think at the time 
Lindsay was looking for more serious roles and more character actory kind of roles to do she wanted to show up in a indie film like this that was going to premiere at Sundance and yeah she might not be the star of it but that's actually kind of I think more in line with what she wanted to do anyway I mean it was the same case with Prairie Home Companion and Bobby she was one in an ensemble and I really hope to see Lindsay go in that direction in the future I just hope it's with better films as I said previously, Jared Leto took this role incredibly seriously. He gained like 60 to 70 pounds. He drank microwaved pints of ice cream mixed with soy sauce and olive oil every night. Gaining the weight, he said, was tougher than dieting himself into skeletal shape for his role as the drug addict that he played in Requiem for a Dream, which that movie is 10 times better than this one. It also says that the abruptness of his weight gain caused him to get gout and he had to use a wheelchair due to the stress of the sudden increase in weight put on his body I mean it's just so unhealthy it's it's such a shame that this movie did you know no one saw this movie and he worked so hard on it that couldn't have been easy on him MTV News interviewed him and they asked with her roles in chapter 27 and last year's Bobby Lindsay Lohan seems to be putting the kid roles behind her what was her work ethic like? And Jared doesn't really say anything about Lindsay. I think because he dated her and also because she was in the news for all these negative reasons, he didn't want to say anything about her that was going to get pulled out and posted on a headline and then it would be like, oh, all of this is about Lindsay. And meanwhile, he really put his body in a terrible, terrible place to play this role. So of course he wants the attention on himself, not on Lindsay. So he replies... This kind of film presents you with an opportunity and a challenge. We all tried to move together with as much dignity and respect for the people and the event itself. All of us were very excited to take on the challenge to learn a little bit about ourselves as human beings. A film like this demands a lot out of you. It's not like making a rom-com. So he, like I said, completely did not answer the question. What was her work ethic like? He's just like, well, we all worked really hard with dignity. It's like, okay. They asked, what kind of conversations did you and Lindsay have between takes? It must have been a fairly depressing set. Leto replies, I didn't speak to anybody. I was in character 24 hours a day, blah, blah, blah. So he says nothing about Lindsay. So I'm going to skip over that because we don't need to get into Jared's whole process. But I do find it interesting that as soon as they finished filming, even though Jared had gotten sick from gaining weight so fast, he quickly went on a liquid diet and says, I've been fasting ever since. I've been doing this very strange like lemon and cayenne pepper and water fast. So that's the master cleanse. Who remembers the master cleanse? That is some early 2000s shit if I've ever heard it, right? <laughs> I tried it. So did everyone. I probably shouldn't have because I was so young that I was still growing. You should never do the master cleanse as a young teenager. But of course I did, you know. So Josh Rosenblatt from the Austin Chronicle said, What's unfortunate about Chapter 27 is that in its rush to be a character study, it misses a golden opportunity to explore the subtle line between fandom and obsession. After all, Chapman wasn't the only person freezing on the streets outside the Dakota day after day, a topic that is rich in artistic and philosophical possibilities, especially in our age of ever-increasing tabloid lust. The presence of Lohan, a celebrity whose every move is tracked by the media like an endangered species of hawk only serves to highlight the point that the truly fascinating story behind the murder of Lennon wasn't Chapman's madness and certainly not his weight but the depths of our celebrity mania and the influence we're willing to concede to personalities larger than our own that is so true and I struggle with that too because you know I idolize a lot of celebrities I really do 
I completely cannot relate to someone who just knows nothing about pop culture and doesn't care what's going on with Britney Spears. I, I cannot fathom that. I have cared about what was going on with Britney Spears since 1998. I will until the day that I die. I don't care. In some ways, that's not a good thing, right? We have these parasocial relationships and it's weird because Britney Spears has no idea who I am, yet I care about her very deeply. <laughs> and you know, it's, it's a strange thing. Of course, I would never be driven to hurt her. I mean, I would literally jump in front of a bus for her, which is also not okay right like it's a parasocial relationship and it doesn't really make sense you could argue okay well maybe you should put that time and energy and love into somebody you actually know which like I do right I have friends and family and loved ones and I have a healthy normal life but what would it take for something to fracture in my brain and to bring me to a dark place you know you never really know so I think that this reviewer is right. They did miss an opportunity to kind of take this film to the next level and make it a little bit more meaningful. I will say though, I do like how they did the scenes in front of the Dakota, which is the building. It's a famous building in New York City where John Lennon lived. And they did film outside of the real Dakota. I know that they also filmed some stuff on a set in a studio because they felt it was disrespectful to have an actor playing John Lennon be in front of the Dakota and all that kind of stuff. And I and I agree. And I like the way they did it because the actor they picked really does look a lot like Lennon and they don't show him that much though. So I feel like that really, kind of like what they did in Bobby, it makes it seem more believable. And they do show, which is true, John Lennon signing an autograph from Mark David Chapman, which did happen in real life. And that kind of gave me the heebie-jeebies. Like, oh my gosh, you know, he signed that having no idea that a few hours later he would be dead because of this person. I mean, it's it's chilling, it really is, but I don't feel like the film artistically brought to the table what you could bring to the table with a movie like this. So by spring 2008, Lindsay had been talking about for over a year how she was back in the studio, she was recording more songs, she was talking about, as I said earlier, the artists that she wanted to work with and the styles that she wanted to represent on her next album. And finally, on May 7th, Lindsay's new song, Bossy, premiered. Now, this didn't turn into an album, but I absolutely love this song. So People Magazine reported, in her first new tune from her upcoming album, Lindsay Lohan sings about her assertive personality. Neo wrote the synth-heavy dance track with the actress in mind, he tells People exclusively. I wrote it for her because when she's on her game, you can see these traits in her. When she's focused, she exudes the aura of a boss with ease. When the producer Stargate and I were approached with a task, we viewed it as a challenge. Can we make a song for Lindsay Lohan that people were going to take seriously? I think we did it. In the song's chorus, Lindsay unapologetically sings, I'm just a little bossy. I like it how I like it when I like it and that's how it is. Neo says the song is about strength. It's basically about a woman being strong enough to get what she wants when she wants it, he tells people. In this case, bossy is a term that describes confidence and power. Yeah, I love this song. I play this song fairly often. I love exactly what he's saying, that strong woman vibe. And I do think it's an unfortunate double standard that men are never called bossy, right? Like, you never hear someone say, oh yeah, he's really bossy. No, that's something that's been put on women because men are allowed to be bossy and no one says anything. They're just being tough, strong, macho guys and putting people in their place like they're supposed to. But when women are assertive, they get labeled with words like bossy. And I love the idea of Lindsay kind of taking that word back and using it as her own and saying, yeah, I'm just a little bossy. I get what I want when I want it. And if you don't like it, too bad. All right, here we go, everybody. Let's talk about possibly Lindsay's most famous relationship, or you could say infamous. 
her relationship with DJ and basically Hollywood slash UK royalty, Samantha Ronson. Now, if you don't know, Samantha's siblings, Charlotte Ronson and Mark Ronson, are very famous and successful in their own respect. I'm not going to get into the whole thing with their family and who they are, so if you're unsure, you can go ahead and Google that. I really want to keep this to Lindsay and their relationship. By the way, I'm sitting in a bathroom on Cape Cod right now recording this because I did not have time to do it before I left for my vacation. So that just goes to show how much I love you guys. I'm sitting on the bathroom floor right now. I have the microphone sitting on the bathtub. So that's what's happening. And <laughs> if you hear an echo or anything, please forgive me. So Lindsay and Samantha Ronson had quite a history before they actually started dating publicly. Samantha's song, Built This Way, was featured in Mean Girls. And if you're not sure which song I'm talking about, it's the famous song from Mean Girls, the da-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-
the public did, right? And obviously, Samantha was privy to everything the public knew as well. And so Samantha was kind of taking a gamble dating Lindsay at this time. I mean, she was kind of like persona non grata in Hollywood. And I think a lot of people didn't want to be associated with Lindsay at this time because she was seen as a mess. She was seen as somebody who was just constantly getting in trouble. Even though at this point, she was supposedly clean after her third rehab stay, you think people would be saying, oh my gosh, that's amazing. I'm so happy she's on the straight and narrow now. I hope she gets another great role. I hope we get another Parent Trap or Freaky Friday or Mean Girls from her. But people really weren't saying that. People were kind of not rooting against her, but I think just kind of dismissing her as a mess and a party girl and someone who could have had a great career, but screwed it up. I also feel that this relationship was true love because Samantha is a very private person, right? Like even though we all knew who she was, that's because we're obsessed with pop culture. I would say your average person to this day doesn't know who Samantha Ronson is. Like if you just stopped 100 people on the street and said, who is Samantha Ronson? Even in a big city like New York or something, I would say a lot of people wouldn't really know who she is or maybe they've heard the name, but they couldn't tell you why she was famous, right? Samantha is one of those famous people who came from money, has famous siblings, has a lot of talented people around her, is rich herself, is successful herself, and really doesn't want to be famous. The kind of fame that Samantha Ronson had in 2008 is pretty ideal because you're known by people in the industry, but you're not getting paparazzi when you walk outside of your door, right? You're making more money than most people make in a year just from DJing one night but you don't have to have your privacy invaded that is until you date somebody like Lindsay Lohan so I think Samantha was really giving up her privacy and this kind of cool girl mysterious DJ type of status that she had in Hollywood and she was opening up herself to a ton of criticism she was opening up herself to getting stalked and followed and chased down by paparazzi and she went ahead with it she did it. And I think that shows that she really loved Lindsay because what else could this be? I don't think Samantha was after fame and I don't think she was after more money. I think she truly loved Lindsay. I think that they had a toxic relationship, which you can clearly see from all the paparazzi videos of them, especially the ones in particular of Lindsay screaming outside of Samantha's house to be let in, which Samantha, yeah, I mean, she has a house in LA. It's a nice house, but it's a regular house, like with a small gate, you know, it's not... Like I said, Samantha didn't need to keep up the paparazzi. She wasn't getting stalked, so she had a normal house in LA. Like, I'm sure it was gorgeous inside, but it wasn't like this gigantic mansion covered by a moat. You know what I mean? Like, it was a normal house, so the paparazzi could just kind of go up to it and wait for them to come out and take pictures and take videos, and they did. Oh, they did take videos. My personal favorite, and by favorite, I, I mean it's the saddest one, is when Lindsay is screaming at Samantha to come out and talk to her. The paparazzo, who's this pathetic person, right? I mean, I'm not saying all paparazzi are pathetic, horrible people, but you're standing outside of a young woman's house to photograph an even younger woman crying and screaming about her relationship that's failing. You're pretty pathetic in my opinion. Get a normal job, get a real job, right? Even he is looking at Lindsay like she's this pathetic, sad creature, and he's just saying, go home, Lindsay. <laughs> like, even he's tired of everything. Like, even though he's getting this priceless footage, right? Which, well, it's not priceless. It's going to make him a ton of money. But even he is saying, go home, Lindsay. Go home, Lindsay. It's just, it's sad, you guys. But I actually kind of love that footage. It made me love Lindsay even more because she's human. 
I have had pathetic moments like that too in relationships. I am sad to say. Never again. Never again. But you have to remember Lindsay is still really young at this point. She's like 22. So I was probably a little bit older than that doing similar things. You know, when you're when you're really in love like that, when you're just like deeply in love in a toxic relationship, I swear sometimes you just feel like the world is going to end unless you get to be with that person in that moment. Like unless you can hug that person and feel that love from them, you're just going to lose your mind and go crazy and Lindsay definitely exhibited that. And that's not good I think that type of love is often glamorized in movies and stuff but once you get older you realize "Mm, a love that makes me calm is actually a better love like yes the excitement is amazing and addicting but after that excitement fades can you dial down the drama and just be calm with someone I think that's the sign of someone you should really settle down with But unfortunately with Lindsay and Samantha, it was a very tumultuous relationship. So Lindsay and Samantha often denied that they were in a relationship, even though it was obvious that they were. I mean, they were seen together all the time. And there are countless adorable pictures of the two of them. My favorite little era of Lindsay and Samantha, I think, is when Lindsay was on set making the movie Labor Pains, which would be released the following year. This was a big deal for Lindsay. This is the first time she had been on set in a very long while, and it was a big deal that she even got a movie. Like, sure, it was this little movie that was nowhere near as good as some she had done in the past, but she was starring in a movie again, and she was showing up to set on time, and she was in what seemed like a stable relationship at that moment. Of course, we would later see all these late night paparazzi screaming videos, but at the time, Samantha would visit her on the set every single day and they would sit outside during Lindsay's breaks and smoke cigarettes or have lunch together and they just seemed like they were good for each other at that time. Lindsay really was one of the first young people who had been on Disney or Nickelodeon or had been associated with like kids entertainment that came out and was dating somebody of the same gender, right? I mean, that was bold at the time. And of course, there was a lot of homophobia. People were calling them lesbos and dykes and things like that. And just in general, doing research for this podcast, like just the various things I would see the jokes people would make, they are very homophobic jokes, even if the person making them, like you could tell, doesn't necessarily hate gay people or or anything like that. But there was just this mean-spiritedness to it. And I think that a lot of people kind of thought that Lindsay was just like, doing another edgy thing, right? Like she was just trying to be seen as edgy and cool and rebellious. And at the time, people weren't as open as they are now. So an actress like Lindsay with a young fan base dating another woman, ooh, my goodness, that was a little scandalous, especially because Samantha Ronson is more of like, you know, she's not a lipstick lesbian, right? And I don't even know that she's a lesbian. I think that she actually has said that she's bisexual. And obviously Lindsay is too. I mean, I don't know what Lindsay would label herself, but... I think that from the looks of it, she's dated men, she's dated women, right? That is bisexual. Again, I am not personally labeling her. I'm just saying what it seems like. And I think that people were just very surprised by that at the time. And people thought that it was just another Lindsay antic, right? Because, you know, we can't take Lindsay seriously. So if she's dating a woman, it must just be some kind of act or something. Or she's just trying to be cool or she's just trying to be different. And it's like, I actually think this was a real relationship that could have been really good for both of them. But unfortunately, it was just a little too volatile. So in August 2008, Samantha did a feature in Harper's Bazaar, and when she was asked about Lindsay, 
the interviewer said Ronson was very protective and she just said, she's great. She's also 22 years old. I think people forget that. So in 2008, Samantha turned 31. That's a pretty significant age difference. And Samantha continued, with the internet the way it is, one second we're enemies, one second we're best friends, one second we're lovers, and then we're broken up. Still, the DJ laughs off curiosity about her relationship with Lohan. Even the airport security guy in Canada asked me, so is it true? She says, it's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna tell you. In an email comment to Harper's Bazaar, Lindsay wrote, I love the Ronsons. See how she's kind of apprehensive to even say I love Samantha. Like she's just saying, oh, I love the Ronsons. I love that whole family. <laughs> she says, they're close to my heart and I respect all the work they do. Then she adds, Samantha and my relationship is a private matter. Lindsay was on the cover of Marie Claire magazine and for the article, they visited the set of her film Labor Pains and they wrote, there's Red Bull in the fridge and a flesh colored thong dangling from a hanger near the bathroom. Outside the trailer, a bulldog slurps from a water dish. His name is Cadillac and he belongs to Samantha Ronson, the proto-scenester and DJ with whom Lohan is enmeshed, although she refuses to confirm no-brainer rumors that they are lovers. Lohan's anecdotes are studded with references to Ronson, noting a star tattoo on her hands, she says, Samantha has a bunch of stars, so I got that, and she got this, indicating a little heart. When she tells me with a giggle that she's looking to buy a house, quote, with someone, it just seems obvious who that someone is. But when I ask Lohan specifically about the relationship, she says, um, people can think what they want. I'm really happy and that's all that matters. As for the newspaper item claiming she yelled at Ashley Olsen to get your 15-year-old full house ass away from my girlfriend when she saw Olsen talking to Ronson at a club last April, Lohan retorts, no, no, I never said anything like that. I would never talk like that. I mean, get me angry enough and I'm sure I'll have something to say, but I didn't say that. With three stints in rehab behind her and the threat of jail if she violates her probation, Lohan has had a relatively peaceful time of it in recent months, leading me to suggest that Ronson's a good influence. She's a great person, Lohan says, and she's a great influence on people around her. But I think that anything that's changed in my life is because of me. Yes, girl. Yes. Ugh. <laughs> if you need a relationship to make everything better, what are you going to do when that relationship ends? Am I right? Lindsay continues, I've gone through it and I've had to deal with it and I think I've made the decision to move forward. So yeah, she's a great person. Lohan concludes of Ronson, who will come loping across the parking lot to the trailer later on, wearing her signature pork pie hat, plus a t-shirt, jeans, and cinder block size red trainers, emphatically unlaced. Lindsay was on the cover of Harper's Bazaar again. As I said, she had already covered the magazine earlier in the year, but they were just in love with Lindsay. You know, I can relate. And she looks so gorgeous on this cover. It's the December 2008 cover. She looks happy. She looks healthy. She has a reddish blonde hair and she's wearing kind of a Marilyn Monroe type of dress. People Magazine reported, Lindsay Lohan may have experienced growing pains going in and out of rehab last year, but the newly grounded actress admits to regaining control of herself and being happy with her life. I'm a different person now, Lindsay tells Harper's Bazaar. I'm happy. The road to happiness has been a long one for Lohan. I was going to clubs all the time and it was not okay. I was so alone. But she has taken responsibility for her downward spiral and is ready to move forward. 
I did it to myself and I have to deal with the consequences. I'm thankful for what I can take out of it. Now I feel clear. Lindsay says that her growing relationship with DJ Samantha Ronson is helping her stay grounded. She's a wonderful person and I love her very much, said Lindsay. The two have never publicly addressed the exact nature of their relationship and the Mean Girl star resists labeling herself. Lohan said she is not a lesbian when asked point blank. When asked by Harper's Bazaar if she is bisexual, Lohan responded, maybe, yeah. I feel like it jinxes it, she said, explaining why she is not talking talking about her love life. It's hard. The second I start talking about whomever I'm seeing, a month or two later, it's failed. And will Lohan hear wedding bells in the future? Eventually, she said. Then they asked her, well, will that be with a man or a woman? And she's like, I don't know. I think it's absolutely crazy that people even have to like come out and label themselves as gay, straight, bi, pan, whatever it is. I mean, labels are just so silly. And, and as a 22 year old woman, I mean, you're still exploring, you know, and you could be very straight, but then you just end up falling in love with your friend who's the same gender. Like that's not a big deal. It's not like you have to suddenly be like, okay, I'm a lesbian now, or okay, I'm bisexual now. It's like, maybe she is straight, but she just fell in love with this other person and maybe she would never really be in a relationship with a woman but Samantha is just special like does that make her bi does that make her pan what does that make her like who cares you know I feel like in a hundred years we're all just gonna look back on this time and be like wait people had to like come out and label themselves as one thing or the other or this or that I mean it's just so silly and I think that part of the reason why they didn't want to come out and say that they were dating is not just because of the homophobia that existed in the world at the time and still does, of course, but just because Lindsay was a young woman trying to figure out herself. I mean, she just had three stints in rehab and... I think one of the things that's really strange about being a celebrity is that you have to address things all the time. It's like you could just do something silly or stupid that doesn't even hurt anybody and suddenly you have to give a statement about it or whatever. And I'm not saying that that was what the relationship was, a silly thing or whatever. I think it was a very serious relationship and I think it was a major relationship in both of these women's lives. But it's really nobody's business what exactly it was. And yeah, we're all fascinated about it. And here I am sitting here all these years later talking about it. But I totally respect their decision to kind of keep it on the down low because they were getting stalked. I mean, there are so many pictures of them together. And like I said, Samantha really gave up something major here, which was her privacy and kind of her coolness too, which at the time, I mean, even now, the cool factor is a big thing when it comes to celebrities and DJs and they want to get booked for parties. They want to get booked for the biggest things. And I mean, this wasn't a word at the time, but it could be seen as kind of chuggy, right? That like Samantha's now this tabloid star. She's on the cover of Us Weekly and all this kind of stuff. People don't necessarily want to hire that for their party. Some people would, but I think the crowd that Samantha ran with, which is more of an underground LA crowd of rich people that are not necessarily famous, it probably didn't reflect that wonderfully on her, is my opinion. In June, OK Magazine offered Lindsay $1 million to come out on the cover of their magazine, which she swiftly declined. On July 2nd, 2008, Lindsay turned 22, and Samantha made sure it was a special birthday for her. Lindsay filmed labor pains during the day, which Samantha came and visited her on the set. Then when Lindsay finished filming, Samantha took her to Cartier, what she purchased for Lindsay for her birthday. 
I'm not sure of. Then at night, Lindsay had a prom themed birthday party at the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel. Go look up the pictures. Very, very cute. Love the theme. People Magazine reported, the party went retro with an 80s prom theme that found Lohan wearing a ruffled black and white dress and the room decorated with red, silver, baby blue, and light pink balloons, palm tree banners, and happy birthday bar napkins. Lohan's table was filled with cupcakes, including one large cupcake with a tiara. She sipped on Red Bull all night while guests enjoyed Belvedere cocktails. Samantha had the night off and DJ AM was actually the DJ at the party and Lindsay's cake had an image imprinted on it of Marilyn Monroe from the seven year itch which is the famous image of her skirt blowing up over the subway grate. Google this birthday and this party if you haven't seen the pictures. It's very very cute. It's very wholesome. I'm not 100% sure Lindsay was sober at this time but I like to think that she was. I feel like this was a good time for her and it was later on that the relationship with Samantha became volatile, but obviously that's just my own speculation. I'm not 100% sure what was going on behind the scenes. In July 2008, Lindsay's mother, Dina, told reporters that she loves Samantha Ronson and she said, she's like a child to me. They're great friends and as long as my daughter is happy and healthy, it is what it is. So I don't know, that statement is you know, I mean, that's what every parent should feel, right? Like, as long as my kids are happy and healthy, they should do whatever they want and love whoever they want, and it's no big deal. But I feel like it is what it is, is something that people say when something is not ideal, but it is what it is, you know? <laughs> so I don't know if that was like the best comment. Also, she said, she goes, she's like a child to me. They're great friends. So it's like they're great friends, or are they more than friends, <laughs> you know? And I, I like that Dina didn't, confirm or deny that they're dating because it wasn't her place to do that it was Lindsay or Samantha's place to do that but I don't know they're great friends mm, I don't know Dina <laughs> around the time that Lindsay was dating Samantha she had a MySpace just like we all did and she actually posted on this MySpace quite frequently she would post in the blog section I've actually been considering doing an episode or maybe like a two-part series nothing big but just an episode or two about MySpace that whole MySpace era and MySpace stars like Jeffree Star and you know I mean there's a few more let me know if you guys would be interested in hearing that because it's been on my mind. <laughs> but anyways, this might give a little insight into the Samantha and Lindsay relationship. She posted that her song of the day was Trouble by Ray LaMontagne. And she wrote, it's for S-R-I-L-Y. So translation, this is for Samantha Ronson, I love you. The lyrics are, trouble, 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 trouble. Trouble been dogging my soul since the day I was born. Worry, 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 worry. Worry will just not seem to leave my mind alone. Well, I've been saved by a woman. She won't let me go. Feels like every time I get back on my feet, she come around and knock me down again. Worry, worry, worry. Sometimes I swear it feels like this worry is my only friend. Well, I've been saved by a woman. She's good to me now. She gave me love and affection. I said I love her. Yes, I love her. I said I love her. She's good to me now. She's good to me. So kind of an interesting thing to post, right? Like it's exactly how you think Lindsay would be. She's saying, I have all this trouble going on in my life, but this woman has brought me some peace. 
and she's good to me and she loves me and I feel better now. In August 2008, Lindsay and Samantha got identical matching black heart tattoos. Apparently, Lindsay had first gotten a version of the tattoo in July 2006 with her former boyfriend, Harry Morton, and she had gotten it in white ink when she was with Harry. And then when she was with Samantha, she got the tattoo outlined with black ink and then Samantha had the same little black heart tattoo replicated on her own left hand. Lindsay also replicated Samantha's tattoos because Samantha has cascading red stars inked down her right arm and Lindsay then got a red star on her right hand. I like those types of matching tattoos for couples. I don't think I would ever get someone's name or something on me, but I do kind of like the idea of getting a little symbol of just your connection with the other person. In spring of 2009, it was reported that Samantha and Lindsay were having problems and that Lindsay was back to using whether it was drugs or alcohol I am unclear and I will get more into what was going on with Lindsay herself in the next episode right now I'm focusing more on how it affected the relationship so it was reported that Samantha's family was seeking a restraining order against Lindsay which obviously made Lindsay totally freak out and was devastating to her now this report is from OK Magazine it does quote Samantha's mother, Ann Dexter Jones, and her sister, Charlotte Ronson, regarding what they said at the Beverly Hills Police Department. Now, do I normally think of OK Magazine as a reputable source? Not really, but they're quoting these people directly, which I don't think that you are allowed to do, which is why tabloids always say a source said or whatever. But this is what the article states. So it says around 5 p.m. on Monday, Sam's mother and sister were at the Beverly Hills Police Department to look into filing a restraining order because Sam wants to send a message to Lindsay. Charlotte and Anne talked to a clerk at the front desk who advised them the restraining order is the best option. If she violates it, then she gets taken away. The Ronsons spoke openly to the officer about their situation. She does these things to get attention, said Charlotte, of Lohan's recent actions. She was trying to get into my party this weekend. We had to tell security to keep her out. Then she booked a room at the Chateau Marmont. Her room was right below. She also followed our brother Mark around. Lindsay was doing drugs, added Anne, and we could not sleep that night at the Chateau. She was complaining about the music and the noise coming from upstairs. She was trying to get attention so that Sam could come down. She cuts herself too, Anne continued. She is a cutter. She got up illegally to our room, Charlotte told the policeman. She does these acts of public humiliation. It is all for attention. She also got physical with Mark. Charlotte continued to speak to the policeman on duty while Anne took a phone call and explained the situation to the person on the other line. Lindsay is furious because we did an intervention, she said. Not about the drugs, but because of the situation, it is what it is. Lindsay is publicly humiliating Sam, explained Charlotte. She is trying to send out a message. The Beverly Hill Station can't issue restraining orders because there are no judges in the building, so the officer instructed the Ronsons to file a petition for a restraining order at the courthouse in Santa Monica. When contacted by OK, a Beverly Hills Police Department surgeon on duty could not confirm what else the Ronson family might have discussed during their visit to the station, saying, As far as I know, there was nothing documented yet today. Though they were quite vocal inside the police, station, neither Charlotte nor Anne would comment on the record to OK as they exited the building. Samantha Ronson's attorney, David Bass, actually confirmed to People Magazine soon after that Samantha had no intention on requesting a restraining order against Lindsay and that 
she does not want a restraining order, that this was entirely the mom and the sister. He said, quote, Samantha has no plan to request a restraining order. There is no basis for one. So that's her attorney speaking for her saying, Lindsay hasn't done anything that makes me want to get a restraining order against her. And this might sound like, oh, Samantha's just covering for Lindsay or whatever. I believe this because I'm not going to get too personal, but I have had situations before where let's just say that people can have very controlling families and even if the person doesn't feel that way, their family can be like completely against the person that they're dating or something like that. And, you know, in this case, were they right or wrong? I mean, I don't know that they needed a restraining order against Lindsay. Do I believe that because Samantha and Lindsay were breaking up that Lindsay was probably acting erratically and using drugs and alcohol? Yes, that's very believable. Do I think that a restraining order was necessary? No, I don't. Obviously, I'm not, I wasn't there. I don't know. But I doubt that Lindsay was actually like violent in a way that would require a restraining order. And Samantha seemed to feel the same way. Still, though Samantha didn't require a restraining order against Lindsay, the couple did break up, which was apparently Samantha's decision. And there were all kinds of reports that Lindsay was just absolutely spiraling out of control after this and drinking and doing drugs all over LA. A lot of it is just rumors. There's not a ton of photos of her like looking wasted or anything like there were in 2007. But what does worry me about Lindsay around this time is that she was so heartbroken by what had happened with Sam that I think she really became kind of desperate. And I feel this way because she did an in-depth, very revealing interview with Us Weekly about her relationship and her breakup. Now, first of all, why is she talking to Us Weekly about her breakup? Why is she talking to anybody about her breakup? If she was going to talk about her breakup, it should have been with a more respected news source, like even People Magazine or something. Why is she talking to Us Weekly? Please note how this relationship had gone from them being a little bit healthier about how much they were sharing with the public. For example, not sharing anything with the public. And then suddenly they break up and she's talking to us weekly so it kind of reeked of desperation it was like Lindsay is just trying to cry out kind of to Samantha publicly so Lindsay says it was torture regarding the night that she was dumped by Samantha it was the worst night of my life us weekly reports in the early morning hours of April 4th Lindsay was barred from a party that Ronson was hosting for her sister Charlotte in their brother Mark's suite at the Chateau Marmont in West Hollywood the actress, who was staying with her mother Dina and sister Allie in the room directly one floor above, went mental, says a source, when she repeatedly tried to gain entry and was denied. On April 6th, the Ronson family, with a noticeably absent Samantha, went to a Beverly Hills police station to ask for help. They were directed to the court to get a restraining order. That same day, in several calls and emails, an agitated, verbose, and often crying Lindsay gave a wildly different version of what happened at the Chateau than from what multiple sources described to Us Weekly and underscored her belief that the Ronson family, not Sam, was keeping the couple apart. I talked to Samantha on Sunday, Lohan told us. It's not like, oh my god, we're terrified of each other. A source close to Samantha, however, begs to differ. The truth is, Lindsay is nuts. Samantha wanted out of the situation ever since she broke up with her. Lindsay just won't understand. Sam has her family and her friends for support. They have been nothing but good to Lindsay. 
concurs a close Lohan friend, Lohan's state has just devolved completely. She has no grip on reality and feels the world is against her. Now, normally I don't read these quotes from sources because who knows where this information is coming from, who knows who this is speaking. Us Weekly could have just made it up for all we know. But the reason why I'm including this is because Lindsay is quoted in the article. Like she trusted Us Weekly enough to do an interview with them for this. So there you go. This party at the Chateau was for Charlotte Ronson's uh, clothing line. And apparently, according to a source, again, Samantha had told Lindsay not to come to the after party because... They were breaking up at this point. Samantha didn't want there to be any kind of scene or anything like that. But of course, Samantha telling Lindsay not to show up just made Lindsay very upset. And here's what Lindsay said to Us Weekly about the situation. I was set up. Her sister invited everyone from LA to the hotel and then sent me an email saying that she didn't want me to come and I never even tried to get into the party. I had been staying at the chateau for three days and I only walked in there because this guy that I thought was my friend said Samantha wanted to talk to me. How high school is this? This is like my heart is breaking that I'm even reading this, that I even have an actual quote from Lindsay that is this in the weeds of a breakup. Like, girl... Have some respect for yourself, honey child. Lindsay continues, I walk in and she's in the bathroom crying and someone's standing in front of the door and I walked into a room with maybe six people and within seconds the room was so full it was like a fucking show. Her mother starts saying things to me and I hear Samantha crying and I was like, what is going on? This is horrible. And then they asked me to leave and I was like, what do you guys think I'm going to do? So when I was leaving, the friends started screaming, get the fuck out of here. And then Nicole Richie walks by and goes, uck. And I don't know what I've ever done to her. Now remember, Lindsay and Nicole were BFF in 2005, 6. They were hanging out a lot. So that is actually not very cool, Nicole. Lindsay continues, Drea DiMatteo, who, if you don't know, is Adriana on The Sopranos, walked out of the room and said, come at me, bitch. Her brother, Mark, who I had just talked to half an hour ago and he was completely nice, is now saying he's going to like call the cops on me. They had to embarrass me. It's not fair. I'm a fucking 22-year-old girl who's in love. I felt like I was in Mean Girls. But worse, because Mean Girls is a fake movie. Us Weekly notes that Samantha's representative had no comment for the story, nor did the Ronson family. But Lindsay says, None of this garbage is true. I was there for three days before they even came to the hotel in my room. They're banging on my room above. It's like they got that room on purpose. Someone hacked into my Twitter page and had fake conversations. The only person who knows my password was at the party. Somebody obviously doesn't want us together. I can't catch a break. They had to embarrass me. And then I got prank calls in my room saying Samantha's cheating on me. That's why she was in the bathroom. And I know this isn't true. An undisclosed source that claims to be friends with Samantha says that it's at 6 a.m., Lindsay came back to Mark's room looking for Samantha and tried to kick the door down. She was having a complete nervous breakdown. Lindsay responds to this and says, Kicking at the door? Oh, please. They make me sound like I'm crazy, like I beat her. I'm the girl that wakes up to feed the dog. It's not fair, and I wish I could find out what's going on. It was scary for me. The worst part, I was so alone. I'm so alone. I was with my mom and sister, but no one called. Only two of my friends called. Everyone's turned on me. No one called me. No one asked how I was. Samantha told me she would never break my heart or do anything to hurt me. This is devastating, right? Like, this is, I mean, just think about everything we've been through with Lindsay in this series so far. And she's talking to Us Weekly, this stupid celebrity rag magazine, and she's saying, I'm so alone. God. 
I wish I could have been there for her as a friend, you know? Like, it's just heartbreaking. And, but she also kind of, you know, has to get out of her own way because she's saying no one called me, no one asked how I was, but then she also says only two of my friends called. Well, two friends calling to check on you, that's something, Lindsay, isn't it? You know? I mean... I think that's nice that two of her friends called. The source claims that everybody at the party had been invited except for Lindsay and that there were bodyguards from the chateau specifically assigned to keep Lindsay out. And Lindsay replies, I wasn't invited. Sam invited me. JC Penny invited me. I'm closing a deal with them. So JC Penny was producing the clothing line with Charlotte. Lindsay says, I told Charlotte you really shouldn't have done that because I'm going to talk to JC Penny and they invited me, Charlotte. I was like, that's really unprofessional and disrespectful. And really, I mean, I'm dating your sister and I've been nothing but supportive of you. I've never badmouthed you and I've never asked for anything. Lindsay says, I don't like the drama that gets created around me. I'm not a mess. It's it's not my fault. I've done nothing for anyone to treat me like this and it's heartbreaking. I fell in love. I didn't sign up for this crap. Maybe her family can accept the two of us being together and not try and break something by getting involved and not letting the two people in it fix it on their own like adults. Why do all these people have to be involved? It's like I'm dating all of them. I love Samantha. I'm so alone without her. Her friends have been sending her lies. She never used to believe that shit and they're throwing it in her face, convincing her that I cheated on her like five different times. Us Weekly says that it was rumored that Lindsay had flirted with Chase Crawford all night and Lindsay says, what? Can I not be friends with people? People follow Samantha at all hours. There are nights when she's out and I don't know who she's with or when she's out of town. I mean, come on. I'm with a girl. Why would I? I mean, I mean, really? No, I have no reason to fucking do that. I, I'm not the kind of person to do that. I know how it feels and therefore I would never do that. And I was so mad when she accused me of that because I was like, you don't even, you know me better than that. You've known me for nearly five years and I gave my heart to you. Again, she's saying this publicly to us weekly. Like just, let's all just take a breath it's heartbreaking. Lindsay says, I'm okay, I'm just really hurt. I'm going to get out of town. My mom and sister are with me. We're working today, I'm okay. I still don't wanna be in a bad position with Sam's family, but how do I know it wouldn't happen again? I never thought that I would have to go through this in my life. I'm just trying to be with my family, take care of myself, clean my house, and get my work going. I'm doing what's good for me. I haven't done that in a very long time. I love that she included cleaning her house. It's so like, that's so innocent to me that she's just like, I need to clean my house. I don't know. And you know why this is breaking my heart so much is because I too was in a really volatile relationship where the highs were higher than high heaven and the lows were, ooh girl, embarrassing, embarrassing and degrading. It's hard for me to even say that and it's something that I, you know, have been away from the situation for a while and I still am working through it with myself and going over things that happened in the past and getting really angry at him and getting really angry at myself and, and you know, still dealing with it. These kinds of relationships are very damaging and I cannot fathom having to go through it publicly. I, I'm actually about to cry thinking about it, thinking about just strangers knowing this shit about me and thinking about a magazine asking me to talk about my breakup and how I was banned from a party that my ex was hosting. I mean, imagine the pain of that. Someone breaks up with you and you're still madly in love with them and you show up to their party and they're like, get out of here. I mean, oh, I really feel for Lindsay. 
Lindsay continues, here's the thing. Everyone has told me to leave Samantha for so long because of what her friends have been doing. It's shit like this that hurts my career. I don't know, I need to just, this is hurting my fucking career. They say we're toxic, but I'm the one who takes care of her, makes sure she eats when she's traveling. Really? The position I was put in was really unnecessary and cruel. Yes, it's easy to target me as someone who does those things, but I don't. I got in trouble, but that's in my past, and that was a long time ago, and Samantha was the only one who was there. She was there for me anytime I needed her. And that's where the article ends. I'm devastated. Um, <laughs> I'm in pain right now. I am hurting. So after this breakup and this interview and everything, it really seems like Lindsay and Samantha just couldn't quit each other. And Lord knows we've all been there. <laughs> A lot of it played out publicly, like I said, with the paparazzi videos and things like that. And I'm sure tons more happened privately that we will never really be privy to. They were on and off a lot during the rest of 2009 and Lindsay did seem kind of unstable around this time because she wasn't stable. Like you could say it was because of drugs and alcohol but I think that she really fell hard for this person and when it didn't work out I think that was absolutely devastating for her and as somebody who was also struggling with addiction issues at the time I mean that is just a perfect storm for a relapse. I haven't talked about this yet, but Lindsay used Twitter often in the early days of Twitter to express her feelings, and she would often post something very revealing that she shouldn't have shared publicly, and then she would delete it. But of course, the internet never forgets. And so in October of 2009, Lindsay wrote, at Samantha Ronson doesn't respond to me because her family will cut her off if she contacts me. They control the one I love and I'm incapable of making any sort of difference. I'm in love with her as she is in love with me, but her loved ones hate her brilliance and resent her happiness. Again, who really knows what went on behind the scenes, but Lindsay and Samantha were photographed for the last time, actually a month before those tweets were posted at DJ AM's funeral. So unfortunately, Adam Goldstein aka DJ AM, passed away. Lindsay and Samantha knew him well, spent a lot of time with him. He was very active in the same circles and the same scene in Hollywood and Vegas and really all over the place. Him and Samantha were two of the top DJs and they were the ones that everybody knew. And so I really love that Lindsay and Samantha were able to put their differences aside and attend this funeral together. They were seen driving there and leaving together as well. And it just, it, it puts a really sad kind of ending on this whole thing because it was such a tragic death. Adam was so young. I can't even imagine all the emotions that were running through Lindsay and Samantha regarding their relationship and then losing their friend so young. I mean, it just must have been incredibly intense. And to my knowledge, I have not seen a photo of Lindsay and Samantha together that was taken after that day. So have they ever seen each other? I don't know. But they have not been photographed together, which I find surprising. Like you think there would be some photo of them in a club somewhere or something after that, but I couldn't find anything. In 2010, Lindsay talked to the UK Sun about her relationship with Samantha and she said, I never really thought about women before. It just kind of happened with Samantha. It surprised me. 
She said that she was still in touch with Samantha because they live in the same LA apartment building. Very interesting, right? Like, do they run into each other while they're getting the mail? I mean, are you kidding me? Uh, <laughs> we love each other. We might reconcile the relationship, maybe. I don't know. Again, the things that this woman shares with the public, like, she's such an open book, it's, it's, fascinating right I mean to say something like that what a vulnerable thing to say we love each other we might get back together I don't know she says if I wasn't with Samantha I probably would be with a boy next she's the only woman I've been attracted to she also said it was a big deal going public with her relationship I've never had a relationship as public as that especially being with a girl for the first time that was really scary for me but I didn't care because I love her oh man if I had a nickel for every time I said but I don't care I'm in love I think Samantha was growing as a celebrity and a musician and I think that might have scared her family but I've always been her biggest supporter and yeah I love her all the fighting stuff was just because all her friends had got involved and made me an outcast which wasn't fair to Samantha I think it was a jealousy thing in terms of her becoming more famous than the rest of them the magazine asked Lindsay about pictures that showed her looking rough after spending time with Samantha and she says maybe I was upset or we had a tiff about something stupid a picture can tell a thousand different words and lies they want to be negative they want the drama they want to say oh Lindsay's distraught here we go again should Sam leave and that's the end of that article kind of a weird way to end it but hey in 2012 she opened up to Us Weekly again and said I was bold enough to say yeah I like a girl and that put her in a situation where she was being attacked every day that's not fair and what am I left with heartbreak that was three years ago it was my last serious relationship Lindsay again said that they were still in contact but she said I needed to love myself first before I could be with anyone and I was going through a lot two toxic people cannot be together end of story we're friends now that's how it started so I think that's what's meant to be also in 2012 she spoke to Piers Morgan who asked her about her sexuality he said do you think you're bisexual Lindsay responded not really I like being in a relationship with a guy but there's something just different about it with a woman when I was with Samantha I didn't want to leave because I didn't want to be alone it was very toxic and her family controlled anything she did Morgan asks were you in love with her Lindsay replies I still love her as a person but were you in love with her Morgan says Lindsay replies I think there was a point when I was Morgan asks so you're probably straight God, people are so obsessed with labels. Like, why does she have to state, yes, I am straight or yes, I am gay, you know? Lindsay replies, I know I'm straight. I have made out with girls before and I had a relationship with a girl, but I think I needed to experience that and I think I was looking for something different. Also in April of 2009, after the breakup, Lindsay did an interview on Ellen and she was quite defensive and a little erratic, just a little weird, but who wouldn't be? I mean, when this firestorm of press is going on in your life and you're trying to battle addiction and you're heartbroken and you're dealing with family members that are also erratic, aka Michael, and then you're also dealing with your girlfriend slash ex-girlfriend on and off her family being really controlling and lashing out against you I mean yeah of course you would be a little weird when you're on national television and you are trying to defend yourself but also you're probably guilty of things too like it's it's a lot and she actually kind of disputed this Us Weekly interview but it was a real interview I mean they can't print an interview with Lindsay Lohan that didn't happen so she doesn't completely dispute the interview but she kind of shrugs it off I'll just let you guys listen and judge for yourselves. You know, people can read, I guess there's the, uh, Us Magazine right now, you're on the cover, and people can read whatever. Oh yeah, I'm but, so alone. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, my sister not... left. She's like, what, I'm not here? <laughs> well, that's what I want to ask. So, so w is that something that, did you talk to them at all? Did they get it wrong? Or what, what tell me what you want to tell me. <laughs> or not. Um, no, whatever. I'm an honest person. I have no problem, like, telling people what, what's real and what's not. Okay. Um, I think, I think that, like, the internet phenomenon and the tabloid phenomenon, I think it's gotten completely blown out of proportion. It's huge now, and people, even if I'm staying home, they'll find some sort of story to write about me. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's been horror stories about me. I've been married twice, but th that whole night was just, um, it was really tough, and I just, you know, I, it came out of nowhere. And mm -hmm. um, Samantha and I are friends. We're talking, like, mm -hmm. we talk, but... Um, you are friends? I, yeah. Okay. Because, I mean, I think that, that breakups are hard when, when you're a private person. But or if when you don't know you're breaking up. It's <laughs> really weird. Did you not know you were breaking up? I had no idea what was going on. Okay. I just hadn't seen her in, like, a week. She, like, disappeared. Okay. Because, because you know, I mean, it, and it really is up to you if you want to talk about it or not. I mean, I feel like you do because... I talk too much, so I might have to stop myself. Okay, and I'll I stop you much. if you're talking too much. But right now, <laughs> it's, it's not enough. Um, so... Uh, <laughs> so... Because you want to... Okay, so, so supposedly uh, cheating. No, you weren't cheating. I, I don't believe in cheating on someone. You don't Why? believe in cheating, so you didn't cheat. Okay. No. And, um, and all the, the restraining orders. I've watched my father do that to my mother, like, my entire life, so I really don't. So you don't cheat. Okay, so... Yeah. <laughs> and what about uh, the restraining order? Is that... Is that... <laughs> did she... Did she... I have no idea. You didn't know that... I just... What am I going to do? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I was like, I don't understand. It came out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Like I've supported Charlotte, and I've I've never I, I've never done anything for that to pe for people to assume mm -hmm. that I'm dangerous. And, and do you, so do you feel like? What do you think that you need to do to to just? I mean, do you feel like you want to run away from this business? I mean, I know because I'll tell you something. No. When I went through a very public breakup. I I kind of lost my career for a little while. And I went away. I went to Ojai. I stayed away for three years, and I literally hibernated and got myself back together. Do you feel like you want to run away and try to? Do you, what do you feel like you want to do right now? Um, I feel like I want to, you know, get my career back in shape. And um, there's some shows that I'm producing um, that I'm really excited about. Mm -hmm. And there's a, I'm doing a movie in October. So I just, it's been nice to kind of just. You know, when people are together so much, it gets really difficult, um, and you forget who you are because you're more concerned about being with the other person. Mm -hmm. And I think it's—I think it's been really good for me. I, I thought it would be so much harder, and it mm -hmm. hasn't been. Um, my what, sister's you, been you out here with what me. Would be harder? Just oh. this whole situation. Uh huh. Um, and but like I've had great people surrounding me. I've just been working every single day. Do you feel like you have great people surrounding you? Do you feel yeah. like you do? I do. Yeah, because I, I think that's really important too to feel like somebody around you is elevating you and saying. Yeah, I mean I've had to cut so many people out of my life for so mm -hmm. many different reasons, and it was it was not fun. Mm -hmm. But um, no, I really care about Samantha, and we'll see mm -hmm. what happens. Maybe when we're both in, like it fully in the right place. Then. Mm -hmm. So yeah, a lot, a lot happening there. The most heartbreaking moment to me was when Lindsay said that she didn't know that the breakup was happening. That kind of makes me hate Samantha. I mean, not literally. I don't hate her, but I just don't like when people are passive aggressive in relationships. If this is true, like I have said in the past, Lindsay isn't always the most reliable narrator. Lindsay lies. Lindsay tells the press whatever sometimes. To be unclear about whether or not you're breaking up with someone, I think is really wrong. But who knows? Maybe Samantha was clear about it and Lindsay just couldn't accept it. You know, so it's also, I feel like I'm kind of wasting my time here speculating about <laughs> a breakup that happened 
over 10 years ago that I was not there for. So I will never know the exact details, but it's just, it's all very messy. In 2019, Lindsay addressed her relationship with Samantha on the Howard Stern show. I remember when you were dating uh, Samantha Ronson. That was wild. I didn't think that was. Uh, I, thought, I talk about that on the show. You do. What uh, do you talk, What do you say on the show about we're it? More friends. Than oh, you anything. are. You are still well, friends. Well, yeah. Well, hmm. but we were always more fr- like best friends. It's not your as thing. Well. No, but no. On the show, it's just in relation to one of Mike, who's one of the VIP hosts. He says he's bi, and people were kind of mean to him about that. Right. But he's just like, well, if I like what I like, and I just don't know. Isn't it remarkable? Which one more? Mm. So I came. I come to his defense a bit. Yeah, and you say, hey, I was in a relationship with a girl. It's not yeah, a big deal. Yeah, like, you shouldn't be passing any judgment. Did people pass judgment on you during that time? Oh, my God. Why are people so goddamn angry about it? That was the first one that was like, that came out about. Yeah. Really? But why would... At my, for my age. Why would someone be angry about that? I feel like the way that she has, in recent years, kind of walked back the whole I was in love with a woman thing is kind of strange. A lot of people have been disappointed by it and are accusing her of erasing her queerness or erasing her queer relationship. And look, I think people should heal however they need to heal. And if that is erasing the relationship in your mind then maybe that's what you need to do but I don't really think that's entirely healthy either like I think we need to face things in life and I think it's clear from the public displays of affection and the public meltdowns that they were not more like best friends than anything you know they were very very obviously in an intense passionate romantic relationship like this was not just oh we're best friends and we also maybe have some deeper feelings it they clearly were in a serious relationship that lasted a long time and I think that Lindsay was so heartbroken by it that she kind of just chooses not really to acknowledge it anymore do you guys have friends like I feel like I've had friends that have done that where they'll kind of dismiss somebody that they dated if that person comes up but in my mind I'm like well I was there I remember how in love you were with that person but I don't actually say that because Again, if healing to them means dismissing the person, then I guess that's what it means. And we all just have to be respectful of that. But it is kind of interesting and a little perplexing how Lindsay has handled the fact that she dated Samantha in more recent years. As for Samantha's feelings about the relationship post-breakup, she did an interview in 2010 and said, I love her as a human being, and I'm not going to sit there and negate everything that we had. You know, I could have a thousand times countered shit with facts, and it's just not for me. I'm sorry, my Twitter page is for me to be like, dude, I need to pee, and stuff about American Idol. They asked her if she was back together with Lindsay, and Samantha replies, no, not at all. Then they ask her, do you want to get back together? And Samantha says, ah ha ha, no comment on that one. Her brother Mark also commented on the relationship and said, I never thought there was anything wrong with Samantha and Lindsay because that seemed to make her happy until I started to see the really horrible, negative, emotional impact Lindsay had on her life and on all of our family. I was like, this is just bad news any way you want to slice it. We all told her that. There were several intervention type things where we all tried to make her see this. Why did he have to share that? You know, and I guess you could say, well, Leah, why do you have to include that in this episode? But I don't know. I just find it interesting because it's like, I think Lindsay had to deal with a lot of shit around this time. And I think a lot of it she brought on herself. 
but a lot of it also is just very unfortunate and breaks my heart a little bit. In November 2011, Samantha released an album called Chasing the Reds on her own label called Broken Toy Records. She did an interview in 2012 with The Daily Beast and they wrote, For someone who plays her cards so close to her chest, Ronson shows surprising emotional candor on Chasing the Reds. And toward the end of our interview, I insisted on reciting some of her lyrics from the song Sometimes When You Win, You Lose. The lyrics are, I just wanted to find some peace with you. You needed the noise as proof. And we started this war on the same side. Now I feel just like a hostage in the room, but I'm trying to find a way out alive. I told her I thought some listeners would hear those lyrics and assume she was talking about a certain person in her life, Lindsay Lohan, before Ronson interrupted me. Maybe they'd be right and maybe they'd be wrong, she said, smiling coyly. I wrote that song when I was with the person that it's about. They knew what it was about when I wrote it. Yeah, it's a little tough on that one. It's funny because you think it's tough because it's figuratively brutal. Imagine if that song was actually literal. The name Lindsay had not been spoken, but it hung heavily in the room, not least because Lindsay moved into an identical luxury condo next door to Ronson's Venice home shortly after getting out of rehab in early 2011. The actress later moved again. So were you really held hostage by that relationship, I asked. Most people would assume that it's figurative, that it's about emotions, but maybe it's not. Maybe it is actually literal, Ronson continued. It was not a healthy relationship. In February 2013, Samantha did an interview with Joy Bryant, who is an actress. She was on Parenthood. And she talked about how being a DJ did not at all prepare her for the fame that came with dating Lindsay. She says, The whole thing is so absurd to me. I have been DJing for 14 years with a steady career all the way through, and it was perfectly fine to fly under the radar. I had panic attacks all the time. I lost so much weight, had so much anxiety, it just made it whack. And she actually said that photographers that she knew just from the LA scene would actually apologize to her for following her and taking her picture. She said, I would go in and out of clubs. Even the paparazzi would laugh. They would see me for years outside the same club, smoking cigarettes, talking shit. And they're like, I'm so sorry, but this is what the media wants. So that's where I'm going to cut it off today, guys. Ultimately, I feel like this was a very important relationship in both of these women's lives, but it was just too volatile. I think Lindsay was too famous at the time, and Samantha did not want to be famous. I think Lindsay was struggling too much with drugs and alcohol still, and she was so young, and she had been thrust into this incredible fame at such a young age. And Samantha was a lot older than her, and I just think that maybe it was two right people, but wrong time, wrong situation. And I think everybody often wonders in their own relationships, you know, different time, different situation, who knows what could have happened, but I guess we'll never know. Thank you for tuning in to another episode. I love all you guys. I am enjoying going on this crazy journey through Lindsay's life with you. I hope I'm doing her justice. DM me, let me know what you think, and I will see you guys next time. Bye, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Ashley and Jessica cast. I'm your host, Leah Russo. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Capria Moon. That's at C-A-P-R-I-A-M-O-O-N. And follow the podcast at Ashley and Jessica cast on Instagram and at Ashley Jessica cast on Twitter. Please let me know your thoughts on the show. I would absolutely love to hear Ashley and Jessicast at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. See you next time.